0: Most of you would be aware that I'm an ordained Baptist minister and spent over 10 years pastoring in Baptist churches uh, before becoming an independent church planter uh, and then joining this church, which is a part of Triple C Ost, because what the world really needed was yet another denomination abbreviating with C's and A's. Um, just not enough of them. Anyway, anyway, so I remember back in the day going some little old Baptist churches that had a plaque on everything. Anyone here ever been to those churches? If you opened a pew Bible, it was donated by such and such a family. On the communion table was a plaque indicating who it was from. The communion chairs had a plaque indicating where they were from. The communion trays, the pictures, the paintings, the pews, the vases, a clock, probably the toilet roll holder, all had a plaque telling you who it was from. The impact to me was like a little shrine to people rather than a church to the worship of Jesus. Now, this is important for us to wrestle with. Why would you donate Bibles to the church? To get your name listed as being generous or because you saw the need and you had the capacity to meet the need? I've said this before, I think it's a very sad thing that often I've found non-Christians to be more generous than Christians. I've known churches who have said to me, we have more money than we know what to do with. just don't know what to do with all of our money. Right? That's not a healthy place to be. We Christians are so good at justifying, oh, I need to leave an inheritance for my children. You do, a spiritual one, where you showed them that following Jesus meant more than material things. We need to be good stewards. We do, storing up tre- treasures in heaven and not on earth. Or the worst one, I'm not really rich, I'm just comfortable, and I don't even want to dignify that with an answer. I think this is why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. We're so good at justifying our wealth. But here's the reality of this church. Our giving is done in secret. We don't even pass offerings around any, any offering bags around anymore and you don't need to kind of pretend to put something in there because you feel a bit embarrassed. Um, everyone's been there, right? You give electronically and that's a wonderful thing and so the bag comes along and you're like, well, you know, because I do give. Uh, so everyone's got that kind of... Kind of got that pressure uh, on them. Uh, We don't inspect one another's bank balances as part of church partnership. We don't tell you that till the third session. But anyway, um, we don't do that. We know people are busy and we don't track the time that you give to church. We don't actually know if you are helping people out behind the scenes or not. No one is putting plaques up anywhere. So-and-so helped someone move house on such-and-such a date, right? We don't know what you are doing behind the scenes. The reality is we don't have special seats. Jesus got angry at the Pharisees because they loved their special seats in the synagogue. They prayed out loud long prayers so that people would notice. But here in the church, there's not a lot of opportunity to gain significance, On top of all of that, we are a church that holds with all of our heart to penal substitutionary atonement, which means penal, there's a penalty of sin that stood against us, we've broken God's law. Substitutionary, Jesus is our substitute to pay the penalty of that sin and atonement. Jesus atoned for that sin on our behalf. So Jesus on the cross paid the full penalty of our sin. We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves so that no one can boast. We are categorically not saved by works, by what we do, by being religious, but only by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven and your righteousness is complete by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen? All of this, this entire intro then, is to ask this one question. Why should we give if we are saved by grace? Why should we consider others better than ourselves? Why should I give of money, time, service, etc.? Why should I live out my faith at work when no one likes it? Why should I go to church if I'm saved? If it's not for a plaque in the church, if I don't get my bit of recognition, if Jesus is going to save me anyway, then who cares? Well, that's the topic of the sermon this morning, why it matters, all right? So to do that, we're going to turn to Matthew 25. And we're going to read 31 to 46. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Love the sound of paper Bibles turning. It's a beautiful thing. I'm not holding one, but I love it. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you have blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, this is not a parable. Now, Jesus uses different terms like sheep, goats, shepherds, but it's a clear story about the coming judgment of Christ on the world when he returns. So, it's not a parable. It's a clear story with a clear point that we should understand together this morning. So Jesus, the Son of Man, will return in glory. That means the radiant display of God's holiness made known to all. Christ revealed in glory when every knee will bow. And Jesus will come with all of the angels as an honour guard as an honour guard around the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will assume his rightful place on the throne as ruler over all and receive the recognition that he should have always had. What a picture, hey? He will sit on his throne and all nations will be gathered before him. Jew and Gentile. Greek, Australian, Tongan, Timorese, all nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, in our day and age, that illustration loses a little bit of meaning. In this this day and age, it was readily understood that through the day, you would let the sheep and the goats graze together. Sheep, however, can handle cold and goats cannot. So, in the uh, late afternoon, the shepherd would come and pull the goats away from the sheep and bundle them together in a small place so that together they would have the warmth to survive the cold of night. Sheep could handle it pretty fine. So, it was a regular understood thing that as you approach the darkness, you separate the sheep from the goats. However... In this story, he says he will separate them and put the sheep on his right. Now, sitting at the right hand is considered the place of power and honour. The Bible tells us that after his ascension, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, the place of power and honour. So the sheep will come to Christ's right hand. The goats, however, will go to the left. They do not have the place of power and honor. Then note the jump in our passage from introducing us to the Son of Man. Now in verse 34, it says, Then the king will say, Right? This is the final consummation. This is the wrapping up of all things when Jesus rightly assumes full overall authority for all to see and he sits down at the throne and the king begins to reign. Right? That's the shift of language in our passage. The king begins to speak. The true king. And he begins by talking to the sheep. And what a message. What a message the king has. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom. Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, this word blessing here is receiving an inheritance from your Father. It's an inheritance for those who are already children of God. Jesus saying, you who are of my fathers, you who are chosen before the foundation of the world, you who are his children, come now into your inheritance. Oh, church, how beautiful. Does the world ever tire you out? Seriously? Does it ever make you feel almost stained with sin when you look at the horrible things going on? Does your soul at times just feel like you've had enough? How long, Lord? How long? But on that day, Jesus will grant to you, on the basis of his sacrifice, your inheritance of the kingdom of God. I used to run outdoor obstacle races. And a few years back, I was in Mount Beauty in Victoria which has a really high mountain called Mystic Mountain nearby. And the obstacle race was set up so that you would have to run up and down the mountain all day. And not only would you run up and down the mountain all day, while you're doing that, you would regularly have to stop and do burpees, carry uh, round boulders, uh, scale rope walls, etc., etc. Well, myself and my cousin had a genius idea. Saturday morning, we did a nine-kilometre obstacle race up and down the mountain, And as soon as we finished, we did the 18-kilometre obstacle race up and down the mountain. Uh, And then we got up Sunday morning and did a 28-kilometre obstacle race up and down the mountain. Well, halfway through the Sunday race, we had to climb a ladder. And it was a fairly normal ladder. Maybe the rungs were slightly further apart. This is how I climbed the ladder. With both hands on said ladder then leaning forward with my chest on it, then getting my leg and pulling it up to the next rung. This is how fatigued, exhausted, tired, I'd pulled a hip flexor. I was an absolute mess, to put the story short. I know I look like a runner, but yeah. Um, uh, Here's the thing. All of a sudden, I was a gazelle. All of a sudden, I was running faster than I ran in kilometers. The soreness felt like it was gone. Man, I was seriously running ahead. Anyone know what changed? It passed out. I was drinking. No. Come on. I saw the finish line. Oh, man, I tell you, I saw that finish line, and suddenly I felt like a little kid. I just felt so good because the finish line was in sight. That's what Jesus is giving you a glimpse of, right? That's why Paul says, I've finished the race. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. When the battle's tough, we're meant to look ahead at receiving an inheritance in the kingdom of God. It gives us the energy to keep going. And it gives us the strength to fight another day because we know the end is coming, right? This is the glorious picture that we're given here. And so in verse 35, Jesus then explains why they are welcomed into their inheritance. For I was hungry. Note, this is causal. For Why do you get your inheritance? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. So here we have it, clear, cut, and Simple. Penal substitutionary atonement is wrong and we are saved by works, not grace. <laughs> I was hoping Drew wasn't going to be here this morning. I thought he might attack me. But anyway, I mean, we read it in the passage, didn't we? The goats are the ones who didn't do these things. The sheep are the ones who did. So it's clear-cut works-based salvation. So church, start working hard or you won't earn enough brownie points, Right? Excuse me while I go and wash my mouth out. Anyway, no, 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 no. Here's what I want you to notice. The key thing of this passage, probably the really most critical thing in understanding this passage, what Jesus intends to convey comes next. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? This is an expression of surprise. What does that mean? It means, in other words, they had not done any of those things in order to achieve salvation, reward, or a plaque. They didn't even know that they were doing it for Jesus. Lord, when did we do that? I don't even know what you're talking about. Why had they done it? They had done it because they were the righteous. Because they were the righteous, they began to love their brothers and sisters practically. So much so that they're surprised when Jesus says it. When, Lord, did I feed you? When, Lord, did I give you a drink? When, Lord, did I visit you in prison? Don't remember ever doing those things for you, Jesus. And the king will answer them, whatever you did, for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Now, brothers and sisters means Christians. It means all Christians the care and kindness that you show one another as the family of God. Remember, this was the lesson that Saul learned when Jesus confronted him on the road, when Saul was persecuting the church. And what did Jesus say to Saul? Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me when he was persecuting the church? We are his body, we are his bride, we are his children, his family. Your love of Jesus is directly commensurate with your love for your brothers and sisters. If you are saved, if you've been born again, if you are filled with the love of God, then your heart will be filled with mercy, compassion, and tenderness for your brothers and sisters in Christ. For they are Jesus' own family, and what you do for them, you do for him. And what you don't do for them, you don't do for Jesus. The heart of mercy and compassion does not save you. It reveals whether or not you have been saved. And this is the separation of the sheep and the goats. The Word of God tells us in other places, this is 2 Corinthians 5.10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Right? It's a response to what God has done in your life. So this is the surprise of the righteous. They didn't do these things with any intention of being saved by them. They didn't do these things with any intention of receiving recognition for them. They did them because they were filled with the love for Jesus, which resulted in them meeting the needs of the saints as they were able. They cooked meals. They bought clothes. They visited the sick. They visited those in prison. This is what they did because they were filled with the love of Christ and then Jesus contrasts it for us. The goats are equally surprised, right? They are equally surprised in our passage. You see, the goats knew their theology. They knew Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of their sin. They knew that Jesus declared it was finished and lived a comfortable life in light of that knowledge. And then Jesus says to them back in verse 41, "Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink." Depart from me, and quite literally, go to hell. Why? Why does Jesus give these people a very different inheritance? Because they did not feed him, clothe him, visit him. And as I said, note the critical response. When? When did this happen? If they had known that you had to do something, then they totally would have done it. It's a little unfair to be judged for something no one told you was required behavior, isn't it? I mean, we turned up on Sunday, as long as it didn't clash with anything else. We didn't swear. We didn't get drunk. If there was another box to tick Jesus, we would have ticked it. That's their response. This this is totally unfair. We did everything that you said we have to do in order to be pleasing to God. The point is this. You will have mercy on your brothers and sisters, not because they are a box to be ticked, but because your heart has been softened by the love of Jesus you have experienced. You have been given a new heart filled with the Spirit, molded into the image of Son, and you love your brothers and sisters as Christ did. That is the point of the passage. Here they are saying, Lord, you didn't map this out. And Jesus says, no, I didn't have to. Because if you're born again, you're born with a new heart to love the family of God. It should be as natural as a parent loving their child. Not to gain something. Simply flow out of who you are and who they are. Ultimately, this is not the story on judgment of what you did or didn't do. It's a story on judgment of who you really are. Right? That is the story of the sheep and the goats. Either a pretender going through the motions of Christianity in a selfish manner, or a heart-softened disciple of Jesus given over to his love. There's a saying I like which is true. They say that shepherds need to smell like their sheep. In other words, if you're a pastor or an elder, then your life needs to smell like the ups and downs of the sheep. Your life needs to smell like the valleys and the mountains as you go through life together, right? That's a challenge to many pastors out there. Your life should smell like the lives of the sheep. I would also say this church, sheep need to smell like the sheep. Because a sheep that doesn't dwell with the flock, a sheep that doesn't graze with the others, a sheep that stands aloof and doesn't share their life is probably not a sheep but a goat, according to this passage. And Jesus is going to sort them out. How does your treatment... Of your brothers and sisters, when no one is watching, when no one's there to applaud, reveal whether or not you're a sheep or a goat? How does your treatment of your brother and sisters, when no one is watching, reveal if you're a sheep or a goat? You see, this is of critical importance from God. Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Church, remember, this is not a box that you can tick. This is not asking yourself, what is the bare minimum I can get away with for Jesus to put me with the sheep? Now This is an expression of your changed heart, of you having been born again, revealed. The answer, if you don't love your brother and sister practically, caringly is to first offer your life to Jesus, to be saved and loved by Him, and the result will be love for your brothers and sisters. Church, if you don't have that love, then Christ is saying, you don't have me. That's critically important. There's nothing more important. right? So ask yourself honestly, am I ticking boxes? I wasn't aware that this was one that had to be tixed. I better add it to the list. Got to, got to do enough religiosity to get, get amongst the sheep on that day. On that day, Christ will see straight to your heart and whether or not it's His. Okay? Come back to Jesus. Let His love for you transform you into love for one another. That is the heart of mercy in the church. And that's what means we will be counted as sheep on that day and able to inherit the kingdom with our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord, there is a definite challenge of your word here, but there's also an incredible grace the reality is here, Lord, you're not asking us to strive harder, to earn more points, to, to tick more boxes, to appear more godly. No, Lord, what you're saying is that when we truly surrender to you, you will give us a new heart, you will fill us with your spirit, you will mould us into the image of Christ, and the love of our brothers and sisters will be the fruit. Lord, you were working that change in our life. Lord, let us pray for all of us to be honest. Lord, we dearly want everyone in this room, anyone watching online, we want everyone to be counted with the sheep to, to come into the glorious inheritance of our Father. Lord, if we have a dry heart, a hardened heart, may we repent, put our faith in Christ, experience his love afresh and let that change our heart and how we love our brothers and sisters. Lord, we ask this in and through the precious name of Jesus. Amen.